This is the Six Figure Home Studio Podcast, episode 65. You're listening to the Six Figure Home Studio Podcast, the number one resource for running a profitable home recording studio. Now your hosts, Brian Hood and Chris Graham. Welcome back to another episode of the Six Figure Home Studio Podcast. I am here with my co-host, Chris Graham. How are you doing today, Chris? I'm good, man. How are you? I am doing awesome, man. And I'm also here with our guest, Mr. Chris Greenwood. I've got two Chris's here. Chris Greenwood, how are you doing today, Chris? Doing absolutely incredible, my friend. For those who don't know, Chris Greenwood, he's an artist who goes by the name Manifest, and he runs a website called Smart Music Business, smartmusicbusiness.com. And Chris, his entire platform is essentially what the Six Figure Home Studio is, except for musicians. So we teach recording studios how to run their businesses. Chris teaches musicians how to run their business as well. And so our hope today was to bring Chris on to the podcast to help give us some ideas of how we can help artists develop. And the whole thought process behind this is this. As home studio owners, when our artists succeed, when the people that we produce succeed, we also succeed. And so if we can do anything in our power to help our clients succeed in their businesses, they're going to come back to us more. They're going to uh, get our name out there more because our music that we recorded is out there being listened to. And that is going to do nothing but good things for our business. So Chris, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for taking the time here to chat with us. Yeah. Super stoked to be here, man. We're chatting like two weeks in a row here. So it's going to be great. Yeah. So Chris was here in Nashville recently for a real estate event. Chris also is into real estate. So he and I got to meet up down in Franklin, Tennessee for lunch, and it was awesome to see that. It's going to be weird. I got two Chris's here. When we interviewed Graham Cochran, we had two Grams, basically. Oh. So <laughs> I know. So I'm going to have to get used to this. But Chris, before we started really rolling here, we started talking about the importance of networking to create contacts within the industry. And I would like you to kind of start there, and we can go from there when it comes to how we can help artists succeed in today's music industry. Yeah, well, first of all, I kind of want to give all you, you know, studio owners a little bit of jab because you guys kind of got the better end of the deal here. And us artists, sure, we get all the glory in touring, but we're the ones who have to drive through the night and promote your songs. Well, you get to collect on the publishing and any points <laughs> that you got. So I just want you to know you guys suck. No, just kidding. Well, hey, I actually, there's a lot of truth <laughs> to that. Like when I started the studio in 2009, it was kind of after realization towards my last tour as a touring musician that the only people that really make money in the music industry, at least back in 2009, when I got started, the only really people that make it are the ones that are not making the music. So either producers make money, tour managers make money, our merch guy made more money than us. Labels tend to make money sometimes, maybe not back then. And booking agents make money, but not the musicians themselves because man, we weren't making much money back then. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's crazy, man. But you know what? You know, I got to see the world and all that stuff and it was great. I used to just joke around with one of my producers. We went and toured Japan and I was trying to get him to come to Japan. And he was like so focused on his craft and you know what? It definitely paid off for him. Let's jump into that contacts thing like you're talking about. And you know, when we were talking even before then, I was just like thinking, okay, like how can a producer really or engineer you know, studio owner help artists. And the first thing that came to my mind was contacts and your network. And maybe you've heard it before that your network equals your net worth. The more people you know, the more things that you can plug into. And I remember when I was recording with one of my producers, obviously I wanted to work with him because he had results. He had hits already, you know? And so I knew I was so confident that by working with him, I knew I would get a great song, number one. 
I was so confident, like when I go to a dentist to get a cavity, I know I'm going to get out of there with my cavity filled. Like that's how confident I was. But then it got to the point where we had these songs done. It's like, okay, well, what are we going to do with them now? Like we need to get him out there. He didn't want to spend all his time just recording all these songs and them not working for him. And so he connected me with a buddy that he knew that was some A&R guy and we started shopping the record. So we actually started shopping the record. And that's probably one of the only producers that did that. And that wasn't just to little indie labels. It was like major, major deals. That was an absolutely huge asset. But, you know, he wouldn't have had those contacts unless he had been working with artists for a while. And he was also out there meeting people, getting to another people or else that wouldn't have been a thing for me. So that added a lot of value as far as a producer. I'm really pumped that we're having this conversation, you know, because I've been looking at your course materials a little bit. And I think for our industry as sort of the behind the glass guys, so to speak, at least 80% of our issues from a business owner's perspective come back to the fact that artists, that musicians are having a hard time figuring out business. They're having a hard time making a living. And what's interesting about this is we have a saying on this podcast that one of the biggest lies in our industry is if you build it, they will come. This idea that, hey, if you just do something good and you're passionate, that that's all you need. And then the world will be the path to your door. And that is, and I'm sure you agree here, is just absolutely not the case. There's so much more that goes into getting what you've made out in front of people and building a fan base. And this lie that affects, you know, the behind the glass industry so much, I think affects the musician industry even more. This idea that, hey, we made this and the world now owes us something because we worked hard in the studio and wrote some songs and recorded. Yeah, nobody cares. And I'll share the story on that, the back half, because we did have label interest because of my producer and stuff. And me, the artist that wanted to rush and kind of took some bad advice, went and rushed and went and signed with an indie label as opposed for waiting for this huge opportunity that could have presented itself And I'll I'll even just share this, that I thought that I was the golden, you know, ticket and I had the golden touch and um, that record did end up blowing up and to an extent it sold like, I don't know, it's probably done over a hundred thousand records now, but I ended up kind of just thinking it was me when it was actually the producer who really made the stuff. So that might be an interesting thing too. When I think about, you know, cause the dude was super humble and stuff. Yeah. He's killing it. I guess that's another question too. How do you keep your artists? And like, cause at the end of the day, like it is their career, right? And you can only give so much input without them, you know, going off. And I've also heard the stories where, you know, a producer does go and, and makes the band and then they go and write with somebody else and it's not as good as record. And then they kind of come crying back. And I think, you know, for a producer to bring that value and keep that relationship is just keep dropping hits and being cool to work with, obviously too. And then, you know, not only his labels, I think we can go as far as, you know, music supervisors to get for TV and film. You know, why can't a producer have those relationships? Like, that's what a lot of people just do. They just sit in their studio and they crank out songs for TV film. If you can be as an engineer producer, say, hey, you know what? I know this music supervisor who's working on this film for this artist. I think your song would be perfect for that. Or actually, is it cool if we lean it this way or do a version of the song this way because it'll help you, it'll help me. And I don't see any reason why an engineer producer would not want to develop those contacts because getting one placement could change an artist's career as well as a producer's career. 
That's awesome. I think what Chris is talking about here is super, super important to just drill into your heads if you're listening to this podcast. And that is first and foremost, getting off your butt and getting out into the world and actually meeting people and start building a team of contacts that you can then bring your artists to in order to help accelerate their careers. Because again, if your artists succeed, so do you. So Chris, what are some of the, I guess I could use the words team members. What are some of the team members that a producer should be building relationships with in order to help artists like you succeed in the music industry? Well, the first one is definitely the music supervisors. And I might as well give you some ideas of where you could go to meet some of those. I went to ASCAP Expo in Hollywood. It's just a conference. And I met all kinds of people, but I paid a little bit extra to get a meet and greet with a music supervisor to play them my stuff. And I'll give you a little secret when you're meeting somebody. Research on them first before you know you're going to meet them. And find out what they like. I found out that this dude liked surfing and stuff like that. So do you think I just talked to him about music right away? No, I found a commonality that we could connect with. And I ended up getting a couple sinks. And I bet you out of all the people he met all day, I'm probably one of the only ones that was, it's not because my music was so great, is that I was just being cool. You know, like, just just be cool. Don't be annoying. Don't be a douche. (laughs) (laughs) Just be cool with people, right? And so, you know, that's a team member. Like he sends you your briefs, he sends you your stuff and you should have like maybe one or two people that really just like work with you on that. And then there's obviously Meet M, there's South by Southwest, there's tons of other conferences you can go to, but go with an agenda specific because you can go to one of these things and you can meet all kinds of people. What are the two needle moving things that are going to really help you and help your artists and go build that team like you're saying and get those people on your team because You don't need a whole bunch of people. You want to find those A players, in my opinion. Yeah. So kind of a cool component with that, and I want you guys that are listening to kind of imagine this, is let's say an artist like Manifest was thinking about two different producers. And one producer pitched himself as a business expert that was like, hey, you know, not only do we want to make great art together, but I also have some ideas on how we could pitch you to this guy or pitch you to that guy or a way that we could take your style and mold it in a way that's going to be more marketable on this song for this connect that I already have. So I think it gets really interesting when instead of, hey guys, I'm an audio engineer, I can press the red button and make the preamps gain stage properly. Hey, great. That's awesome. But if all of a sudden it's, you know, I can do all these things, but I can also help you grow your business as a musician. I can give you some guidance there. I can hook you up with some people you know, maybe even like I've got some course materials that you can go through. All of a sudden, that gets a lot more interesting. Who would you hire as the musician? The producer that's connected with business skills or the guy that's just an audio guy? Well, first of all, I hate the idea of just somebody pressing record. You're not a producer, you're an engineer, and I don't want an engineer. I can engineer and press record too and buy a couple of fancy mics and studio, okay? Technology is to the point. I want someone who's going to challenge my songwriting. I want you to take my little turd and I want you to polish it and make it a diamond. (laughs) I want you to take my idea and I want you to develop it with me. I want you to challenge me to rewrite my course because I've worked with dozens of different engineers and producers, whatever. The ones that don't challenge my songs are normally the worst songs, (laughs) okay? Because they're just my ideas, you know? And it takes a team to make a great song. So, I think that like, sure, we're talking about network and all that stuff, but just developing those songwriting skills and pushing the artist. And, you know, some artists don't want to be pushed. I don't know why they would. Maybe they just think they're God's gift from heaven and their songs are already great. But, you know, in my experience, songs that were challenged or rewritten or worked on 
those ended up being the better songs. And I knew those were the producers that really cared and they're worth me and helped carry the song, you know, cause like until I got comfortable in my skin and became a good songwriter, I think what some things I've never talked about this before, but engineers don't realize is that you're the one who's kind of carrying the session. You know, you almost need to take the vision of the artist and then you need to pull them along. Cause a lot of the times the artists are just kind of not sure where to go next, you know? And so you need to be able to paint that vision and challenge the song and know where to go with it. And that is an extreme value. And like, <laughs> again, talking about earlier, just knowing that I'm going to get the product I want. And then I think all these other things that we'll get that we're talking about, like, you know, music soups, whether it's TV, video games, radio, we can talk about that for a little bit because that's obviously sculpting a song completely and having relationships. But at the end of the day, if you don't get a good product and the customer's not happy and it's funny, I guess that everyone's happy about the product and thinks it's awesome until the sales suck or until the response <laughs> sucks, right? Everyone's like, yeah, this yeah. is awesome. Well, the public didn't think so. <laughs> Man, this is interesting stuff. So it's been a long time since I've produced, you know, more than 12 years, I'd say. But one of the things I used to love to do was to work with an artist as far as the scope of the project to try to help the artist structure something that would be profitable for them. And I'm sure this is much less of an issue now, but the issue I'd run into all the time was people would be like, yeah, man, I want this big pop record and I want to like drop 30 grand on it. And to be in a situation with that artist and explain, well, you don't really have the fan base to even break even on that $30,000 record. Let's talk about maybe an EP or let's talk about a record that's got more of a program vibe than you know, like a full band thing, but helping the artist as the engineer, but as a producer also figure out how do we make you a product that you're going to make a profit on as opposed to just the flip side of the coin, which I think a lot of engineers do is how can I get the musician to spend as much as possible with me? This is an interesting component because I know a lot of us listening, you know, for you thousands and thousands of audio engineers, you guys know exactly what I'm saying. On the one hand, you do want to get the artist to spend as much with you as possible. However, if the artist goes out and loses money on the product they made with you, that does not bode well for your career. Mm -mm. You want an artist to walk away and be like, yeah, oh man, I mean, I made a lot on that record with them. Yeah, I'd rather them take that 30, spend 10 on the record and spend 20 marketing it. Bingo. That's what needs to happen there, you know? Yeah, dude. Well, I'd love to hear you talk more about that as far as the marketing piece. Yeah. You know, that's a component. You already kind of nailed it. And I feel like we share the same thoughts, which is really cool. Is that like, yeah, don't make a full album, you know, make an EP or just get two songs done and get those out there and start marketing right away. It's like, you know, they spend all this time in the studio. They don't even barely tell anybody about it. They haven't even thought about the Kickstarter date and to actually recoup on this. And if you're listening to this, every artist, you should always do a Kickstarter. It's a part of your launch strategy. And it's not if you do a Kickstarter, it's when you do a Kickstarter because it gives you so much buzz. It gives you so much momentum and it lights the biggest fire under your butt to market because you got that deadline and that scarcity and you don't want to look stupid, right? Because you didn't hit your goal. But when it comes to marketing your music, like it's literally those numbers. If we're taking a $30,000 budget, literally 10 should be towards an EP or an album and then 20, you know, whether that part of that goes to a buying onto a tour or 
Facebook ads or YouTube ads or making a music video that's again on budget. And like, and if he had 20,000 on it budget, I would maybe do two, three grand on the music video. And then again, all that money, getting it out there, getting new fans, putting the word out there, putting the word out there because, you know, you can make anything these days. It's marketing it and selling it, which is, which is really the tricky part. And that's some of the stuff I teach in my world a lot to my students. Yeah, man, that's super cool. Brian and I talk a lot about this Henry Ford quote. And Henry Ford talks about that the problem that, this is his words, not mine, but the problem the poor have is that the poor will get fixated on a small pile of money and the rich will walk past the small pile of money to get to the big pile of money. And this idea here, I've seen this a lot where I've seen a lot of successful audio guys, producers, they fixate on how can I get that artist to spend as much of me as possible, but then the artist isn't going to tell anyone about me. And what you're preaching that I think is so cool is the flip side of that as well. I want to make sure the artist has leftover money. And again, I'm preaching to myself from what I produced back in the day. But if I had made sure more often that the artist had leftover money to spend on promotion, that artist would then go out and share that music with more people and more people would have seen that credit I had and more opportunity for more projects in the future. And what we typically see in our industry is something will go well. They'll have a record that comes out with an artist where they're really proud of their work. And then all of a sudden, like the projects kind of slow down. They hit that dry spell. And I think a lot of the times is that artist isn't promoting. They believe that lie. If you build it, they will come. Hey, you know, I'm passionate about this. I poured my heart out. You know, the world owes this to me as opposed to this flip side of the coin, which is make your own destiny, go out and do it and promote the project and help artists do that instead of what's the most the artist could afford to spend with me. You're focusing on the short term instead of the long term. And I think that's where you can, you know, really shoot yourself in the fit when you'd be better just to make the best freaking hit song one or two. Cause it's just, you only need one song to change your life. You don't hear about albums changing people's lives. You normally hear about one or two songs that were the game changer. Like when I go to meet with a label, he doesn't say, play me the album. He says, play me the hits, you know, give me one, two. I don't got time to hear your whole album. I don't care. I don't want to hear your whole album. I just want to hear two songs because guess what? A label can't even market a whole album. When you think about it in a whole album cycle, it's done in a year and you can only market two, three, four songs max if it's freaking crushing. But you, know, you only get two, three. So you only need two, three songs. Hello. Hope that smacks somebody upside the head. You're listening. <laughs> yeah, I think we talked about this in a recent episode, number 63, where we talked about a shifting music industry and how to take advantage of that. This is a big part of it is just not needing to do as many songs anymore. I want to go back on something you mentioned a minute ago. It's kind of shifting gears a bit, but you mentioned Kickstarter. And this is something... For whatever reason, we've really failed to talk about on the podcast, but this is huge because the number one biggest complaint you hear from every studio owner in the world today is bands are too cheap or bands can't afford me. And one of the biggest things to come along to help artists fund records these days is Kickstarter. So when it comes to getting a Kickstarter set up and funded as an artist, you've helped people do this, correct? Or you've done this yourself? Yeah, I have a program called Crowdfunding Secrets, and I've done six or seven Kickstarter campaigns. <laughs> done a few. Yeah. So I think this is a huge part that audio engineers need to think about. And I would actually highly recommend people go check out Chris's program on this. As an audio engineer, if you can figure out how to set up successful crowdfunding campaigns for your artists, there's your budget. You're good to go from there. That'd be huge. Yeah. Yeah. Then you get paid and you don't have to chase people down for money, <laughs> you know, but that would be a huge asset to just even have an idea to navigate it and stuff because 
you know, you're going to be the one who's going to be delivering the deliverables to the artist so that they can release their first song. Because normally it's the first, once we got a hit song and feel good, that's the one I want to show to the world, not the crappy one. You don't hold your diamonds back. You always put your best stuff forward because it's like people are going to want to support. It's like, oh, that's the first one sounds, hopefully the rest of it sounds, but you've just put a, a bad one. It's like, Dang, but I think a lot of artists think that they have to be known, especially if it's your first one. That's your first chance of raising a real lot of money because you got your friends, you got your family, you get everybody involved, and you, the producer, engineer, should support the record. You should buy the record. Don't be cheap, okay? If you really believe in it, support it, even if it's the $10 or $15, $20 package. But, you know, get involved with it and, like, package ideas and stuff like that and, you know, because they're going to be probably filming in your studio, all the behind the scenes stuff. So what if you even had some stuff? Here's a really cool spot where you can shoot some Kickstarter stuff or, hey, you can come shoot. Maybe that could be actually a really idea. Studio plus Kickstarter package. Exactly. And you can kind of, you know, monetize that and sell that. I'll help you do a little, you know, get your Kickstarter video and whatnot. And you can use my studio. Like, you know, your studio looks sick back behind you there, Brian. You know what I mean? Who wouldn't want to shoot in that, you know, like do it up proper and then you got a freaking location, you know, and some ideas. If people have seen any videos I've done where I have the Music City sign behind me, the light on with the skateboard light and the cool little like old movie set light. I got all this stuff at like a yard sale or at a uh, flea market or on Craigslist, like nothing behind me in this, this setup is expensive. So there's really no reason why you shouldn't have a good setup for video in your studio in 2019 and beyond. Well, I love what you're saying there, Chris, this idea of like, I'm imagining a conversation that artists are having about an audio engineer and the one artist has worked with this audio engineer before the other artist is looking for someone to help them come out with a record to come out with some songs. And I imagine that conversation would be a lot different than, oh yeah, man, he made my snare sound really good. (laughs) As opposed to like, oh man, he helped me set up the Kickstarter. You know, we filmed and we did like some live acoustic tracks at his studio and he just had great insight. He walked us through it to do some basic Facebook advertising to promote the Kickstarter. And wow, you know, the record would have never even happened if it wasn't for him. That dude is making the sale. That audio engineer is getting hired every single time because it is the wild west for musicians right now. They don't have any clue how to exist in this economy and to <laughs> exist in this business. And it's the best time to be alive in it too. I think one of the biggest takeaways, honestly, is being able to facilitate multiple areas of the artist's success, not just the record itself. As a producer in 2019 and beyond, I just think this is going to be a huge part of having a successful business is understanding all of these aspects so that if you can't at least help you, at least understand so you know what their struggles and what their next steps will be. Chris, thank you so much for joining us on this interview today. Where can people go to find out more about you and what you've got going on? Yeah. And just because we've been talking about it so much, I have a free book that I've been giving away and it comes with a video course and it talks about how to market your music. And it even gives you the four phases for hitting the billboard charts. And guess what phase one is? I don't know if you'll be able to see that, but it says crowdfunding. (laughs) That is the very first step. And you just go to smartmusicbusiness.com slash free book to get that. Just cover the shipping and we'll send you the book and the course, but that'll help you with the four stages of your launch because you know that's really what it is and yeah i just want to say thanks so much for having me on and love your stuff man love your webinar training i had someone the other day actually say he literally went detailed 
about how you helped him find artists to work with on Bandcamp and stuff like that. I don't want to give away awesome. your thing, but I was like, that's my bro, man. <laughs> so that was kind of <laughs> cool. So cool connect. So love what you guys are doing, man. Thanks, man. Awesome. Good hanging out, Chris. Yeah, man. So good to meet you. So that is it for this episode of the Six Figure Home Studio Podcast. Chris, what do you think about that? Brian, I mean, I love what you said about 2018 and beyond. Like, what does it mean to be successful in our industry? And I had this thought about, you know, over the years, there have been shifts in our industry. And I'm sure, you know, 1950s and 60s, it was like, you know, I was going to hire Joe to produce my record or I was going to hire Bob to produce my record. But dude, Bob just got an eight track, man. Joe's still got the four track. Oh, I'm going with Bob all the way. And then the next, you know, a decade later of, oh, dude, Joe's, he got the eight track, but man, he also has the plate reverb. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to go with him. So there's been like an arms race in our industry for a long time of like, it was track count or it was, you know, they've got a Fairchild compressor or they've got this special reverb box or they've got this drum room. In a lot of ways, there has been an arms race. And that arms race has really changed in the last 10 years where suddenly people are like, well, a gear arms race doesn't work anymore. It doesn't work because there's not enough money on the table. And what's going to happen if you try to do that gear arms race is you're going to have you know crippling debt and you're eventually going to fold. The interesting thing now is I think that there's a skills arms race. So good. It's starting to happen. That's this idea of like we were just talking about of, well, Joe, who is a vampire and he's always young and he's still producing 70 years later, <laughs> Joe has figured out Kickstarter or Joe has figured out how to do video and audio together well, or Joe has figured out the whole Bandcamp thing or the whole Patreon thing. There's this skills arms race where, yeah, you have to have a niche but you also have to have a unique selling proposition, a unique value proposition, a couple different ways to say that, to be able to pitch to your artists and say, you should hire me because I am the best at fill in the blank. You should hire me because I have an eight track. You should hire me because I have a plate reverb. You should hire me because I can walk you through how to do a Kickstarter campaign and get your record funded. Super interesting stuff. Yeah, I think it's just like we talked about with the interview with Chris, it's just going to get more competitive because you have to learn these things in order to differentiate yourself from the crowd. It's not even just about audio skills anymore. It's not just about finding your own sound. It's not just about knowing how to do all of these audio tricks. It's not even just about social skills now. All of those things are an extremely important part about having a successful career. But now you have all of these really cool things like crowdfunding that come into play that you can use to really help differentiate yourself from everyone else. So all the things we talked about in this interview today, like having connections outside of the audio world, connections that can help the artist develop, understanding marketing from the artist's point of view, understanding that you shouldn't take the whole budget and that you should help them put their money towards marketing their songs so that they are actually heard and they actually have a fan base and they actually make money off of what they paid you to record and helping them get the entire thing funded through crowdfunding, Kickstarter or whatever's around nowadays. All of those things are such a valuable thing to know as a producer that that alone could help make or break your career. Yeah. Just understanding those skills. And honest to God, like I can't believe I've gone this long in my life without really understanding all of those things because man, if I'd have known this stuff 
right as it happened. How long's Kickstarter been around, Chris? Probably 09, I would guess. Yeah. I remember 2010, 2011, seeing bands doing GoFundMe or Kickstarter for their albums and like making fun of them because they were basically like asking for money. And not realizing like this is genius. And as a producer, I should be helping artists do that because if they get funded, they can afford me now. And to go my entire career without thinking about that is just idiotic to me. Yeah. Well, I think there's a temptation as an audio engineer to hear what we're saying and be like, oh, it's uh, the golden age is over. Oh, wow, he's me. Oh, I think there's a temptation to do that. But I really want to underscore for you guys that our industry has always been in flux. There's always been some crazy change. The first one was radio. When radio came out, people lost their dang minds because they're like, you're going to play music for people for free? Ah!" (laughs) Like everyone lost their minds about that. And it didn't ruin things. There was a transitional period and then the things leveled out and it got awesome again. We're in one of these transitional periods right now. And the thing you have to remember, I'm going to date myself here, but back in the 90s, the way you found out about a new band and the way the band made money was I or anybody else would be in a car with their friend and their friend would pop a CD in the CD player and say, dude, listen to this song. And you'd say, whoa, this is good. I'm going to go to, for me, it was Media Play on Sawmill Road in Columbus, Ohio. I'm going to go to Media Play and spend $17 on this CD. And that was how music spread. Or it was like you were in at your friend's house and their big brother you know, had a huge stereo system and played a record for you. And that's how it had been for a long time. It's not like that anymore. People aren't finding out about music when they're carpooling with their friend. They're finding out about music online. This is like obvious, but they're finding out about it on Facebook. They're finding out about it on Twitter. They're finding out about it on Instagram. And the point as a musician is to get someone to share your songs with their friends That's the same as it has always been, but the place you're trying to get them to share it is the internet now. That's a fundamental shift. And here's the problem with the internet. It didn't cost you anything to get Sarah to share a CD with her friend Jenny back in the day, but it was a one-to-one relationship. And it was through many interactions like that that a record would spread and go viral. Now you have gatekeepers, you have Facebook, you have YouTube, you have Twitter, You have Google, you have all these different players who own the interaction between friends sharing music. And if Facebook wants to bury your post about your favorite CD or about the project that you just came out with, they will. If you're saying, hey guys, listen to this record I produced, and it's not getting any interaction on Facebook, then Facebook doesn't want to share it with all of your friends. And this is something we have to understand that the world's different now And, you know, case in point, like when tape players came out, you had to learn all kinds of stuff to be able to operate a tape player. You had to learn how to bias the machine, which is a mystery to me. You had to like have a magnetic wand that you spun as you approach the tape machine. Do you get it biased correctly? It was crazy. That was a new skill that audio engineers had to learn in order to be successful at a certain point in history. Before that, it was, hey, if you want to be a successful audio engineer, you got to know how to press vinyl. Well, you have to know how to cut vinyl. And if nobody in your studio knows how to cut vinyl, what's the point? So there was a certain skill you had to learn to be successful. And what we're saying is that maybe the next skill that you have to learn to be successful has something to do with digital promotion and marketing. Yes, I agree with that. And it's, it's just like, just like any other time in a transitionary period in our industry, if you are the one who refuses to adapt and change with the times, you are the one that gets left behind. And no matter 
what period you're talking about in the history of audio engineering and home studios or recording studios or commercial studios, no matter what period you're talking about, that has always been the case. You either adapt or you die off. And for some, it'll be a slow, painful death where you're slowly trickling money away until you file for bankruptcy. For some of you overnight, all your clients go away and you don't have a business anymore. It's one of those things that we are trying to help equip people to understand that they need to change because that's the first step of changing and adapting is understanding that you even have to. And once you now know the things that you have to do, then you go do things like sign up for Chris's programs or whatever stuff he has to help educate you on how to do those things and take the steps necessary in order to learn the skills you need to adapt and change in a rapidly changing industry. The thing I want you guys to take home is don't be the guy in say 1960. Three. I'm sure someone knows when the date of like when eight tracks came out or when 16 tracks came out. Don't be the guy that's like, oh man, you don't need a 16 track. Eight tracks enough. Well, it's so dumb. 16 track is overkill. That's stupid. It's going to ruin music. Don't be that guy about internet marketing. Don't be that guy about Spotify. The successful people lean into the change and they help it come. And they ride that wave like a surfer, back to Chris's reference to surfing, they ride that wave all the way home. Don't just be out there in the water just like, no, oh, this wave is... Oh, oh. We, we have to lean in. And if that's the only thing that people take away from our podcast is that you have to lean into the technology, but you also have to lean into treating your career like a real business, obviously. And also treating your client's business like a real business. Yeah. So I love that, man. I really wish I could go back in time to Chris Graham, the producer back in the early 2000s and explain like, dude, the goal is not to get the artist to spend the most money possible. The goal is to have enough artists to be able to do this every day. And to do that, you have to make sure that the artist is going to promote once they're done. Yeah. I think that's really the take home here is having the ability to not only put yourself in the artist's shoes, but to help the artist achieve the goals that they are trying to set out to achieve. And if you can do that, it's not only going to add value to the artist that you work with, it's also going to help your studio and your entire career out for the long run. So I think that's about it for this episode. Uh, just real quick, I want to apologize for how short the interview was. We just had some scheduling stuff that came up and had to cut the interview short, but I think we really had a lot of good breakthroughs of things that we really need to be thinking of as audio engineers. Um, next week, we're going to be recapping our time at NAM. We just got back from that. We are uh, doing an episode on the future of gear for home studios and the power of networking. So very good episode next week. Looking forward to that. Until next time, thanks so much for listening and happy hustling. Whoa.